Amber you guys would clutched be like, her pearls. I, we all I did. I went. Amber, somebody give her the smelling salts. Oh. Let's go. Is anybody listening? Can anybody hear the crazy things they say? Is anybody listening? Or are you happy just to laugh at them and call it a day? Hello and welcome to the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier County Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer and I am the vice chair of the Collier County Democratic Party and the host of this podcast. Thank you guys for clicking on. I am here with Amber and Linda, as always, we're going to dive into the slate of candidates, the Collier County Democratic Party recommendations for the ballot, talk a little bit about vote by mail, and then get into passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg last weekend and talk about how that is going to play out during the election. Her record on the Supreme Court and how her replacement is being forced through by the Republicans at the moment. But before we do that, how are you guys doing? Uh, This was a pretty rough week, but we've got to keep pushing forward and keep positive because that's the only thing that we can do at this moment. So I'm trying to stay focused on that. Linda? I mean, I I think you and I kind of talked about this earlier today where, I mean, we haven't even seen the depravity that is Donald Trump just yet. And so to expect that things will get a bit worse and a bit more chaotic and a bit more surreal is an expectation that we should all have. And so, you know, we just need to keep our heads down and keep on moving and keep on working until, you know, the last bit. Exactly. So before we get into the depravity, let's dive into the slate. Every Democrat in Collier County and all of the left-leaning NPAs uh, should be getting over the weekend a uh, voting recommendations guide in your mailbox. It will have the candidates that you can vote for that will be on your ballot and also the recommendations by the party for the constitutional amendments that will be on your ballot. By mail ballot will also be coming in the mailbox this weekend. Uh, So please look for that as well and fill it out and get it back on Monday as soon as you can, because the quicker we can get those vote by mail ballots in, the better. We'll get into that a little later on why you can trust it. But depending on where you live, we have four local candidates along with Biden Harris. Obviously, the Democratic Party, no surprise here, is recommending that you vote for Joseph Biden and Kamala D. Harris. Don't think we need to go too much into that. But uh, we also have a congressional district candidate for District 19. That is Cindy Banyer. She is running as the Democrat in the U.S. House 19 against Byron Donalds, who was the state rep in District 80 here locally. Uh, he is the Republican. They are both uh, contesting an open seat. They actually had a debate this evening. Today is September 24th. It was a debate streaming online. Cindy Banyer went into the lion's den and attended an in-person debate, a pretty right-wing conservative charter school organization that put on the debate. So she, she went right in there and fought the good fight and went directly at Donald's. So I encourage everyone to look that up. And then we have three state house candidates running State House District 106, which is Sarah McFadden, 
State House District 80, which is Laura Novasad, and State House District 105, which is Maureen Porras. And then we also have a Collier County Commission candidate, District 5, David Turubiartes Jr., which is out in Immokalee, Golden Gate area. Uh, it's actually the largest district in the county by area. So those are the candidates that we have. Uh, do you guys have any questions on the candidates? That was awesome. I mean, maybe we can talk about um, David T. I don't want to mess Tur- up his name. David T is a great candidate out in District 5. He's a local born and raised in Immokalee. His uh, parents were tomato pickers, tomato farmers out there. And he grew up in Immokalee, so he's really well-known out in Immokalee, hometown kid who's putting on a, a great great race against the uh, incumbent, Bill McDaniels. Bill McDaniels, as everyone knows, is one of the consistent no-mask vote on the Collier County Commission as of right now. Bill McDaniel actually does represent the Immokalee area, even though he doesn't really do much for them, is consistently not voting to bring hospital care and health care out into Immokalee and has basically never seen a developer that he doesn't support and back. So having a debate, uh, it's a Zoom debate on October 1st at 8 p.m. You can check all that out at our web. If you look at the news section, there is a link there with a Zoom link that you can click on and log in and watch the debate happen. I think it's 8 p.m. on October 1st. And I would just like to add with David, you know, you think about our community of Collier County, you know, it's not just Naples, you know, we have five commissioners. So the fact that you could have somebody from that community with their voice being heard as part of our county commission, I think would just be not only a huge um, accomplishment for an underserved community, but also would really just balance things out. I mean, that's how government should work in ideal situations is that people should have a voice for their own community. And so I really hope that the people who have a chance to vote for him, if he's on your ballot, that you really speak about him to your friends and neighbors and get him elected, because I think that would be a wonderful thing for this community. Yeah. And I also want to point out, I mean, he has a great shot, not only because he's a great candidate, that district is a winnable district. There are actually three candidates running in that. The Republican is Bill McDaniels. He's the incumbent. Then you have David, who is the Democrat. But there's also an MPA running, who is a actual Republican who switched to MPA to run in this. So when you throw in the fact that there are three possible candidates there, and if David can solidify the Democratic vote and, and they turn out for him, and the rest of the vote gets split between McDaniel and the third party challenger who I forget his name. There's a real opportunity to pick up a seat here. And so if you're not in his district and you can't vote for him, why should you support him? Because call your County commissioners, regardless of where they're from vote on issues that affect all of Collier County. So even though you don't live in district five, able to vote on issues like a mask ordinance. So for instance, if everyone remembers now it's been two months ago when the Collier County commissioners rejected the mask ordinance. It will be revisited again soon. It will be revisited again here soon. But when they rejected it back in June, originally, Penny Taylor was the one who switched her vote. If David had been on the commission at that time, we wouldn't have needed Penny Taylor's vote to be switched. 
So you should really lend your support. Uh, if, if you can't volunteer for him, donate to his campaign, um, help him out. I think he's, he's a great candidate. He'd be a great addition to the commission and to the community at large, especially the Immokalee community, but the whole community. All of the Democrats would love to see a Democrat on the commission just to give our voice a little louder megaphone. But outside of David, we also have Maureen Porras, who is in Florida House 105. Uh, this is actually the best chance we have of picking up a seat this election cycle. There's actually more registered Democrats in her district than there are Republicans. That's not how it was 10 years ago when the seat was drawn, but it has progressively gotten more and more progressive, more and more liberal, more and more Democrat. And she is running a fantastic campaign. She's been endorsed by over 40 different uh, elected representatives around the state. She's raising a ton of money. For those of you guys who, who wondered, her district actually spans the Everglades. It is in actually three counties. It is in Miami-Dade, it is in Broward, and it is in Collier. And so she has a very large district, but it is a winnable district. Uh, we're putting a lot of effort out in there to try to, to flip that seat. And if her and David can do that, they will be the first Democrats elected in Collier County in over 40 years. So it would be a huge, huge achievement, but a terrific candidate as well. Her story is amazing. Uh, she is a lawyer for a workers' rights organization. She has a great story about immigrating here from Nicaragua. Her mom actually left her when she was very young, and she didn't reunite with her mother until she was seven years old when she was able to join her mom, got her law degree, and, and is just a, a tremendous, tremendous candidate and asset and human being. So it's someone you really want to support. I encourage you guys to check her out, donate, volunteer, do it all. And then, uh, obviously, Sarah McFadden. Another great candidate. She's in a tough race uh, against Bob Rommel, the longtime state house rep in 106. 106 runs up the coast from Barefoot Beach down uh, into Marco Island. So very, very difficult seat to win. But Sarah is running a great campaign. She's getting out there. She ran in 2018. So she does have some name ID that comes along with it. So I encourage you guys to support her and, and help her out in her efforts, what she's doing, you know, and then Laura Novosad, another seat that is a little more democratic than the others. Uh, her seat actually spans into Hendry County and Collier County. This is out in Immokalee Ave Maria. So she actually has a huge uh, advantage there as well. Her and David Turibiartes are doing a lot of joint campaigning um, because they are on most of the same ballots out there. So another great candidate. So if you can support her as well, uh, that would be great. I just want to point out that looking at this slate of Democratic candidates, how representative they are of our country as a whole. You have five amazing women, two women of color with Kamala Harris and then a Latinx Maureen Porras. And then you have David from Amakli, who is a disabled Latino man. And then you have your token old white guy. So I think that it's just, it's fantastic to see the diversity and just the fact that we represent who America is compared to the Republicans. Yeah, I mean, and, and not only does our slate here in Collier County represent the country at large, but it represents the community here locally. And what you really want to see in a country as big and diverse as ours. You know, I also want to mention 
on everyone's slate card that's mailed out to everyone. You will not see any of the discolorations. I'm going to give you a very quick reason for that. Every single one of them was nominated by a Republican governor and appointed by a Republican governor. If we remove them, DeSantis will be replacing them. So it's kind of a pick your poison here on that. Uh, and so uh, we are not taking a position on the judicial races. If you keep them, we know what we've gotten so far. If we don't retain them and we try to remove them, then DeSantis does get to, to name the replacement. So uh, there will be some nonpartisan races on some of the people's ballots, community development boards and mosquito control and things like that. We are also not taking a stance on those because they're nonpartisan, because they're not technically Republican or Democrat. We are not putting our endorsement behind any of them. I will say that none of the people that are on the ballot have reached out to us. And as such, we are not going to add them uh, because they have not. We have to get permission from them and none of them have asked. And then constitutional amendments. Again, all of this is on the voter guide that has been mailed out to you. But real quick, there are six constitutional amendments. These are state constitutional amendments. So for the state of Florida, we recommend yes on number two, five, and six. Number two is raising Florida's minimum wage. We say yes to that. We say yes to instead property tax. We, and we say yes to an ad valorem tax discount for spouses of certain deceased veteran combat-related disabilities. So yes on two, five, and six, and no on one, three, and four. I do need to go through these a little bit because they can be misleading ballot language. And so when you read the title, it can seem like it's a positive thing, but it doesn't actually mean that. So number one is citizenship requirement to vote in Florida elections. We're saying no. We're not saying no because we don't think you should be a citizen to vote. We're saying because it's already a requirement that you are a citizen to vote in Florida. Adding this language would simply mean that we're going to have to go through and rewrite all of the laws in books to accommodate this new language change. And it really has no effect whatsoever on the actual operation of, of voting here in Florida. Uh, and so we're just saying, no, it's a, it's a useless language change. Three, all voters vote in primary elections for state legislature. This, this one is really sinister, okay? Um, and people need to listen to this. Number three is being touted as if it's an open primary system, basically saying that anybody can vote for anybody. So Democrats can vote in the Republican primary and Republicans can vote in the Democratic primary. A lot of people think that would be a good thing. Here's the reason why it's a bad thing, is that basically what this would do, what number three would do, is that if the top two vote getters were both Republican, there would be no Democrat on the ticket. So, for instance, here in Collier County, I'll give you a perfect example. In our primary in 105, we just talked about 105 and Maureen Porras, they had a Republican primary. And in the Republican primary, they actually got more votes in the Republican primary for the top two than Maureen did in hers. And in that situation, if number three got passed, constitutional amendment number three, Maureen would not be on the ballot. It'd be the two Republicans who got the most votes. This basically would lead to a disenfranchisement of a particular party in certain areas. It would also lead to less minority representation. 
because certain areas would not ever get African-American or Latinx representatives because of how small their communities are in particular areas, they would never be able to get above the threshold to be on the ballot. So big no on number three. That's actually almost certain to die, though, because the Republican Party is is telling people to vote no on it. The Democratic Party is saying to vote no on it. So, And then number four is voter approval of constitutional amendments. Uh, this I'm not going to go into the details of this, but it's just an additional step to to constitutional amendments. We already have a 60% threshold for constitutional amendments. You need to get 60% voter approval on a constitutional amendment for it to pass. This would add an additional step that requires the voters to then approve of their approval. So we, we strongly recommend no on that one. Unfortunately, our constitutional amendments that do get passed by over 60% are still going to be not followed by our our current governor, so. Right, right. And you're talking about the uh, yeah. restoration of rights uh, for felons who have paid their debt to society, getting their right to vote back, which was passed by a 65% margin in 2018. And then the Republican uh, legislature voted, put in laws that basically pay all fines, which they never told them how much the fines were and uh, before they could uh, before they could actually register to vote. So uh, and then there is also uh, one county referendum that is only in Collier County, which is reestablishing funding for conservation Collier to protect water quality, water resources and wildlife habitat. We are a strong yes on that. So that is basically the slate, our recommendations on how to vote. Those of you guys who have requested it, We'll get your vote-by-mail ballot this week, and you can return it immediately. Those of you who have not, you can still request a vote-by-mail ballot. We still are recommending that you do that. You can request one up, up until extremely late. We're recommending that if you haven't requested one by October 9th, then feel free to plan on going to vote in person early or on Election Day. You can drop it off at the Supervisor of Elections office if you don't trust the post office. I will say this, guys. Right now, the post office is working okay here. The slate cards that got mailed out to you guys, they were dropped to the post office on September 22nd, and I got mine two days later on uh, today, the 24th. So Me too. They're moving pretty quickly through it at the moment, so uh, we think we're, we're pretty good here. I've noticed over just the last couple days a little chatter on social media of people being more concerned about vote by mail than they had been previously. And I think the rhetoric that's being discussed on the right is getting into people's head about their vote not being counted. So I just thought maybe before we move on to the next subject, do we need to clear anything up with that? Yeah. I mean, look, the Democratic Party um, nationally, state level and locally are recommending that you still use vote by mail. You still send your vote by mail in in the mail, uh, and we think it is safe and secure. I do want to point out a couple things to make people feel a little bit better about it. Uh, so first of all, once you get your vote by mail, fill it out properly, sign the envelope, and uh, and send it back in the mail. If you don't trust the mail, you can go and drop it off at a drop box at the Supervisor of Elections office anytime, 24 hours a day, 
between now and election day. So you do not have to trust on the postal service to do that. Okay. But let's assume that you trust the post office and you put your vote by mail ballot in the mail and it gets mailed off. First of all, if you go to callyourdems.org on the homepage, there's a big button that says track your ballot. If you click on that button, you will be taken to the supervisor of elections website in which you can put in your address and your name and it will tell you if your vote by mail ballot has been received and accepted. So you will know that your vote by mail ballot has been received by the supervisor election and it was accepted as a valid ballot. Now, let's go through the scenarios. If you sent your vote by mail ballot off and you're checking the website and it continues to not be seen and you're saying, I sent it in, but it's not there. What do you have to do? Well, first of all, very easy. Supervisor elections allows you to get up to three ballots. You can go into the supervisor elections office or you can call them or you can get online and you can say, I lost my ballot. They will send you a brand new ballot. They will cancel the old ballot. Every single one of these ballots gets a barcode on it. They will cancel the old ballot. It will be invalidated. It will not be counted and you will get a new ballot. You fill it out. You drive it down there and drop it off. You can do that up to three times. It's the same scenario as if you went into a polling location and you made a mistake on your ballot in the polling location. You would simply go to a poll worker. You say, I made a mistake. They would take your ballot and give you a new one and you would fill out the ballot. Okay. Number two, let's say your ballot goes in the mail, goes to the supervisor of elections office and it's received, but it's rejected for some reason. So typically this is because someone forgot to sign the envelope, signed the wrong envelope. So if it's a husband and wife, they will put the ballot in the wrong envelope and sign it so that the wife is signing the husband's envelope or the husband signing the wife's envelope and it'll be disqualified. If that happens, we have representatives there when they're reviewing the signatures. The Democratic Party does. We are also given a list by the supervisor of elections at every single ballot that is rejected. The supervisor of election, by law, has to send a certified mailer and an email to every voter who has their ballot rejected, asking them to what's called cure the ballot, C-U-R-E, cure the ballot. And you have, I think, 48 hours to cure that ballot. Now, once we get that list, we have a team of about 25 volunteers on our voter protection team who are ballot curing team. They get the list and they start hammering away phone calling every minute to try to get a hold of that voter so that they can get the ballot cured. All it is is you would sign an affidavit saying that I made this mistake. This is what I meant to do. That is actually my ballot. One last thing, and this is coming out of uh, President Trump's constant suggestion of questioning vote by mail ballots and the news uh, media commenting on whether or not he was going to challenge vote by mail ballots and challenge the counting of ballots and all of these different things. And in other states around the country, vote by mail ballots are counted after election day. That is not the case in Florida. Florida election law allows supervisor of elections to begin opening and counting vote by mail ballots 22 days ahead of November 3rd. So we have been in contact with Jennifer Edwards to ask her what her plan is regarding the counting of vote by mail ballots. 
uh, she has indicated that she will go get the necessary approval to begin counting those 22 days ahead of time. And so every single one of the vote by mail ballots will be counted ahead of election day. And that is going to be happening all over the state of Florida. This is why Florida is such an important state in this election, because we are going to know fairly quickly after 7 p.m. on November 3rd where Florida stands in terms of votes. Because the supervisor of elections all across the state in every single county will be able to report to the state their vote by mail totals immediately because they've been counting them for 22 days straight. So you're not going to run into this situation like what may happen in other states where they start counting vote by mail ballots and President Trump wants to try to stop them from doing that. That won't happen here in Florida because the ballots will have already been counted. So there are so many different ways in Florida that your vote by mail ballot is safe, secure, and is the best way. Not to mention, you know, we have a very robust voter protection team in place. You know, so just basically everyone, if you requested a vote by mail ballot, fill it out, mail it in, go on our website, track your ballot, and you'll find out that it's been counted. Once it's been counted, you're good. And if there are any issues, another reason to get it in quick, if there are issues, you have time. You have 30 days to get it fixed. If you need a new ballot, you can get it. If you need to cure your ballot because of a signature issue, you can do that. But if you wait to the last minute, you lose a lot of the options. Yeah, but, what do you have? You have like, if you vote on election day and there is a problem with your vote, um, provisional ballot or whatever, you have 48 hours to rectify 48 that. hours. But generally, just, just when you get your ballot, send it in. Not to mention you'll stop getting all the darn phone calls from us because we'll take you off our list to stop, stop calling. The Biden campaign won't call you. We won't call you. The local candidates won't call you because you've already voted. And it's obviously people don't want to be continually called. But what that means is that they can focus their efforts on the people who are less likely voters, the people who may forget to turn in their ballot so they can put all of their effort in the people that they need to get out the vote rather than people who are guaranteed to vote but are going to wait until the last minute to get their ballot in or to go to you know the last day of early voting or the day of the election so exactly If you guys are interested in hearing more about what's going on with the local Democratic Party, the Florida Democratic Party, local candidates, events, when they are possible again, and local news, there are a number of ways you can hear from us. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or just check in at our website for all the local Democratic Party info. You can find all of these signups on our website at www.collierdems.org. That's www.collierdems.org. Thank you for all your support. I'd like to insert a great transition in here, but there is no transition that would work sufficiently to get us into um, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That happened over the weekend, I think. Uh, obviously, I speak for everyone saying that this was a a uh, a blow that rocked us all to our core uh, for so many reasons. First, 
because of losing such a uh, an icon and such a strong voice for uh, equality, regardless of gender, race, sexual orientation, etc. So, and then second and closely followed is just the knowledge we all had on Friday evening. Mitch McConnell didn't disappoint with only two hours later saying that he would name and force through a Supreme Court appointee before Election Day. So, guys, you know, we can sit here and talk about this at length, but I'm just curious what your guys' feelings, thoughts are regarding her passing and then also what transpired over the last week. Well, I think... There's been so many tributes to her already since her passing. Um, several movies have been made about her history. And, and I think if you're a sentient woman, you will understand the legacy that she has left behind for women's equality and for anything that had to do with equal rights for all, not just women, but men, everyone. You know, I think that in her later years, she had become the quote unquote liberal on the bench. But I think if you know her history, it's important to note that that's not the way she began her 27 year career as a Supreme Court justice. But I think that you can have these arguments about what the Constitution is about originalism. She by far was not an originalist. She understood that as times changed, so must the word of the law. And she took that to heart, especially for her own sex. And I don't think there's anyone that's going to really come close to being as important for women as she has been throughout her career. She was pivotal and now she leaves a big hole in the Supreme Court and, you know, the candidates that have been brought forth already. But I think we all know that it would probably set back the equal rights movement several decades if, you know, Donald Trump goes to type on this one. Yeah, so. I'm, I mean, I, I know we're, we're going to get into probably some of the politics of, of this right now. But before we do that, I reiterate everything that Linda said. And if you've been alive this last week, you've probably seen multiple amazing tributes to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I just had two things that I read that I had not heard before, which stood out to me. And one of them was actually spoken at her memorial ceremony by Chief Justice John Roberts. And he gave the quote that said that Ruth used to ask, what's the difference between a bookkeeper in Brooklyn and a Supreme Court justice? And he said, her answer, one generation. And I think that sums up her life's work in so many ways of just that she fought in a time where what she did was unheard of. And she faced so much mockery for that in her personal and professional life. And she took that to change laws so that other women could live their lives in the way that they wanted to, in a way that they weren't able to back then. And all of us, anybody who is a woman alive today, needs to give respect to what she did. 
And one of the other stories that I liked is that uh, one of her old law school classmates referenced that her law school nickname had been Bitch. And he (laughs) apologized to her at the time and, you know, assured that he had since then tried to ask them that they ban sexist statements like that at all meetings in the future. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg (laughs) read this and exclaimed, Better bitch than mouse. Oof. And again, yeah. I Boom. love them. Those two are my two favorite things that I've read this week out of all the amazing things. But I think those just sum her up in a way that she wasn't taken down by the negativity. You know, it's so easy to be taken down. And I think all of us this week have felt a little down by this event. You know, we're sad by her passing because she's such an amazing person and has done so much. But I think we need to remember that so many people have been in worse positions and have been just at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, and did not give up. And if it were not for them fighting and not giving up, we would not be where we are today. So we need to keep that in our mind going forward. And we're going to need it knowing what's what's ahead of us with everything. So... Yeah, we're going to need it. You guys know that I I have a shirt, the Notorious RBG shirt, which is a picture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg wearing a crown in the same vein as um, the Notorious B.I.G., the rapper, because both of them were from Brooklyn, and she famously later in her career went by RBG. And I would wear this shirt at every single event, so to the Women's March and to uh, any of the uh, rallies that we put on around town over the last four years. And at every single one of these rallies, I would have someone come up, see my shirt, love the shirt, and then say, hang on, just hang on. And I think the sadness and the pit that hit everyone's stomach was that for the last four years, liberals, progressives, moderates have been all praying and asking for her to just hold on until we could get a different president in to replace her. And I think just the fact that we're 40 days out from the election and that she got so close to that and her final wish, uh, her last words to her granddaughter was that her most fervent wish was for a new president to name her replacement. And you know, that, that brings us right into the politics of, you know, Mitch McConnell hearing that f- most fervent wish of hers and basically tossing it aside within two hours of the announcement of her passing. We all knew it was going to happen. It's part of why we had the feeling we did on Friday. We all knew it was happening, that they were going to push this through. I think, and I may be wrong, but I think Republicans are making a huge mistake here. I, I, I agree. I, I think they are underestimating how upsetting this is to Democrats and and where it will lead them moving forward. Republicans have always been the party completely okay with exercising raw political power. If they can do it, they will do it. And they don't really care about the process and they don't care about the norms. They're just going to take what they can take. And they don't care if they said two days ago that they would never do something like that. They're going to do it if they can do it. And I think they are dramatically underestimating how angry Democrats are going to be over this and how long that will stay with Democrats. And they may win this battle, 
and they have all the tools and all of the power right now to be able to do it. They may win this battle, but I think they will lose the ultimate war because of this decision. They are playing yeah. with fire and it is a fire that will burn in every single belly of every Democrat for as long as they live. And they will never let any of them, never let any of them let it down. Marco Rubio said in 2016, yeah. by the way, everyone listening to this, Marco Rubio is up for election in 2022, two years. Marco Rubio said in 2016, we should never allow a president in an election year select a Supreme Court justice. He said, I would say that if it was a Republican president. We're 40 days out from an election, and he is gladly going behind doing that. Everyone needs to remember that and needs to fight past this. If we're successful, we need to not rest and say to ourselves, hey, we won. We're done. You need to remember what every single one of these Republicans did and remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the seat that they took from Merrick Garland and the seat that they're now trying to take from Ruth Bader Ginsburg and hold them accountable at every single election from here on out until the day we die. Yeah, I I agree with that, Jeff. The complete and utter hypocrisy. I mean, they, I have to think that they were gambling. They were gambling in 2016, saying some of the stuff that they were going to say. How do they know that this may have come up in these moments leading up to the next election? I mean, really, it was a total gamble. But the fact that we have so many of these Republican senators on record saying not only did they believe that it was not fair to elect somebody during a presidential election year, but they would also be saying that even if it were a Republican president. I mean, and, and like you said, that is the quote from Marco Rubio, even if it was a Republican president, which now they're trying to skew. This is all on record. And there was such a big deal of this made in 2016. And now it's, it's just complete and utter hypocrisy. And sadly, it doesn't surprise me as a person who studies politics in a way, but it surprises me still as a human being. It still surprises me because I still like to think of these people as having some shred of decency and they have proven themselves that they do not. You know, I think we've already said this, but Merrick Garland was in February before, like the primaries were still on. We didn't even have actual candidates at that point. And and Obama was not trying to sway any election in his favor. He was not running. Where now we have people on multiple states around this country are already voting. Florida's ballots went out today. People are casting their votes. And Trump is using this as a political tool to potentially sway voters. That is not the point of picking a Supreme Court justice to sway an election to your favor. And that is the whole reason why this should not be allowed right now. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. I don't think this is going to be forgotten. And if they succeed, I think it's fair game. Yeah. It, it, I mean, how do you, if you're a Democratic senator, how do you trust, how do you do anything with a Republican? How do you make a deal with a Republican in this situation? I mean, look, I'm in sales. My job is in sales. Everything about human relationships is about trust, period. You have to have trust in the other individual that you're working with in some way that what they're saying is accurate, that they're not lying to you, that they're not going to screw you over. How do you take somebody who is willing to be in public on tape 
saying that with pure conviction, we didn't believe it, but just emoting to the camera in 2016 that this is a principle that we have to uphold. And if this was a Republican, how dare you suggest that we're doing this out of political motivation? You know, this is a principle that we're upholding. And if it was a Republican, we would be doing the exact same thing. And then when put in the exact same position, they act with the same amount of conviction that we're absurd for quoting them for what they said. And so I think what they're missing is, one, the anger that all of us feel about it. But two, you're underestimating the fact that no Democrat will ever trust you ever again. And so they're never going to look to work with you. They're never going to they're not going to care if you holler and scream about something. They're not going to they're not going to worry about it because they're like, why should I worry about it? I don't know if your hollering and screaming is real hollering and screaming or just political machinations to benefit you in the next election. So, you know, I think they're probably looking at it and saying Donald Trump's probably going to lose the election. We may lose the Senate because of that. And this may be the last shot we get. But But is that worth it? To a Republican? Evidently it is. Because... Their entire mantra for the last 40 years has been to get the court to a conservative majority. This has been their their guiding light more than anything else. They don't really hit tax cuts and the Supreme Court. That has been it. Republicans believed that through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you had the Earl Warren court and you had these a very liberal court that ruled on Brown v. Board of Education and ruled in uh, Roe v. Wade and and a lot of other landmark cases that that shifted legal precedent to the left for generations. And I think they made a decision in the late 70s, early 80s to start pursuing a agenda of trying to make sure that they could get Supreme Court justices on the on the court. And you know that's what the Federalist Society is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically a way to vet judges so that they know how they're going to vote. But think about this. This this goes to the polarization of where the country has gone. When when Justice Ginsburg was was nominated and confirmed, she got ninety three votes mm-hmm. in the Senate. Ninety three votes. I mean, that's unheard of. Now you couldn't get ninety. You can't get ninety three votes on. On keeping the government open. I mean, uh, like, but this is a big deal. I mean, this is a huge deal. I don't think people really grasp the severity of this. I mean, a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court, especially with Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and whoever the third judge would probably be fairly young. I mean, we're talking about a long time that that is there. And we're talking about health care. We're talking about the Affordable Care Act in a pandemic is meant to be heard by the Supreme Court four days after Election Day on whether or not it is going to be upheld. And if it is overturned, 130 million people with pre-existing conditions could be thrown off their health care. 12 million people added on Medicaid could be thrown off their health care. Premiums could go up for women because they're a woman. The regulatory state, the way we view how the EPA and the FDA and OSHA, how the government comes in and says, you know what, we're going to put in these regulations to protect 
the citizen from bad practices by companies. A, a conservative court could say that those are unconstitutional, that you can't do those things. And all of a sudden, environmental regulations go out the window. The Democratic Senate and president could pass a, a climate change bill that was really active in trying to, to reduce carbon emissions. And the Supreme Court said, you can't do that because it's a 6-3 majority. Setting aside Roe v. Wade, you know, and then God forbid that this particular election gets thrown to the Supreme Court and it's going to be ruled on by a person who was recently nominated by the president who's up for, you know, in that case. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is an extremely volatile situation in which things could go a lot of different ways. Uh, And this is why Senator Schumer, along with just being upset and not trusting Republicans, it's why he said, when asked the question, would you consider ending the filibuster? Would you consider adding justices to the Supreme Court? Would you consider adding Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. as states so that we can get additional senators? Would you consider these things? He said, nothing is off the table. Yep. I hope they mean it this time. We like to say nothing is off the table, and then we apologize for saying nothing is off the table. So, I mean, I hope that Democrats really mean it this time. I don't necessarily like to be confrontational, but I think the Republican Party has shown themselves to be, at the very least, untrustworthy. And there's a couple other adjectives that you can throw in there. So I I think it's time, unfortunately, for the Democrats to lose the persona of Mr. and Miss Nice Guy. Yeah. And and push through the progressive agenda that a large portion of this country wants. But a, majority. a small portion, exactly, yeah. but a small portion of this country seems to ignore and not let us pass. You know? Um, that's the, you talk about the majority. I mean, you, the, our country is being run by a minority party at the moment. The president has been elected by millions less people. The senators of the Republicans who are in power represent millions less people than the Democrats in the Senate. So we have to keep that in mind. And this has been like this for years, that they are a minority. And that's why I think they are doing so many things to try to preserve their power and they know that it's waning. And so they are resorting to trying to disenfranchise voters and stop votes from being counted and stop democracy as we know it because they are losing power. And it's crazy that, you know, you look at like Roe versus Wade, you like 60 to 70% of the American population does not want to see that overturned yet. That's what they're aiming for. You look at the affordable care act and ask people if they want that to be overturned during a pandemic. And the vast majority of people say no, yet they are on their, I don't know, 80th, hundredth. I don't even know how much they've been trying to, to take this out. It's like the people vote for it. The Supreme Court upholds it, yet they continually, continually, continually fight it until the point that, okay, maybe we can get enough people on the Supreme Court 
to where this is overthrown. It's like, who's running this country? The people want this. And that's the whole point of this. We are electing people to represent us. So when the majority of people want something, it's just shocking to me that this is allowed to happen. Well, and can we also say that Trump has been blustering about the Affordable Care Act since he took office, but he basically wants to do the same thing. So if you're a Republican voter, you are excited that he wants to appeal the Affordable Care Act. I'm not too sure why, because he keeps on promising he's going to have some type of plan. He's not going to call it the Affordable Care Act. He's going to call it something else. But it's still some type of plan for America to have health insurance. So, I mean, (laughs) it's the same freaking thing. It's literally the same freaking thing. So I don't actually know what they're so upset about. The only thing they potentially are upset about, which is really like potentially the way a toddler acts is, is, well, we're, we're just going to repeal that and we're going to make something else and call it ours. And now it's ours. And everybody forget that Obama kind of got this going first. I, I mean, is that really not what's happening right now? I, I, I think... What's happening is Republicans tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act in 2017 and failed. They controlled the House, they controlled the Senate, they controlled the White House, and they controlled the Supreme Court. And they ran for eight years against Obama, against repeal and replace, repeal and replace, repeal and replace. And they got in control in 2017 and they failed. They couldn't do it. They could not pass a repeal of Obamacare because... The people freaked out. And so what I think they made the decision is, is they said, hey, our corporate backers, the big corporations that we really represent, they really want the Affordable Care Act gone. But we can't do it because we will get shellacked if we do it. And they did. They tried to do it and they lost by a landslide in 2018. But what can they do? Let's get the Supreme Court to rule it unconstitutional so we don't do anything. They repeal it. Our constituents, the corporate, are happy. And then when someone throws a fit about it, we can go, well, we wouldn't have done that. But, you know, it's gone, so there's nothing we can do about it. And honestly, I think it's just an, it's, it's the same thing they've done with Donald Trump. And it's the same thing that they've done for the last 10 years is they are not a party that can govern, period. They do not, they're not interested in governing at all. What they're interested in in is power, and they're interested in staying in power. They do not want to do anything that they have to do. They don't want to legislate. They don't want to change laws. They don't want to come up with policy. I thought about this at length, and I'm like, what is the Democratic Party? What is the Republican Party? The Democratic Party created Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, passed the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, passed Affordable Health Care. We're the ones saying that that love is love. We're the ones that put a man on the moon. We're the ones that started the environmental and, and pushing for climate change. We're the ones actually trying to go out there. We brought this country out of the Great Recession and the Great Depression. We're the freaking party that's actually out there doing that. You tell me one freaking thing that the Republican Party has done over the last 60 years that is has any value to any citizen 
in this country. Name me one thing. There isn't. There is not one thing because they do not stand for anything but tax cuts for wealthy individuals and getting people on the Supreme Court. That is it. That is it. Do you, under- you understand my existential crisis with this, though, right? Yeah. Which, which is he's wanting to repeal something that he wants to reinstitute right after the repeal is done. Well, he so, says that. I think he's going to repeal it and do nothing. Okay. All right. Well, let, absolutely. Let, let, okay. Well, I, again, you know, oftentimes wording is everything. So yeah. it, it's amazing to me that people are excited about this. Yeah, let's let's repeal it. But guys, and put uh, what? And and but but it's not even that. What he's campaigning on is that he's going to replace it again. Replace it with something that that he says he doesn't want, he doesn't like, and he says that you don't like either. And that's why you voted for him. Well, he's doing the same thing. Again, the double speak that is this party is amazing to me and that that people are still falling for it because he's not saying he wants to take away what Republicans demonize as socialized medicine. He says he wants to keep it and and do pretty much the same thing, just not have it bear the name of a person that he doesn't like. Well, I don't understand just, they, it. They ignore it. They just move on. Okay. It's like, they're, like they're going to lie. And All right. Else. Well, again, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm so very confused same. by this. I mean, oh, no. We're, you, Democrats are beside ourselves. We're beside ourselves. It's how do you, you can't argue with liars. You know, you can't, you can't argue with somebody. We've talked about this before about, you know, in, in our ideas of what the debate will be like. How do you how do you argue with somebody who's going to say whatever? It doesn't. There's no facts. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's you're just going to make something up. You know, two plus two equals four. No, it doesn't. It equals six. What do you mean it equals six? No, it equals four. No, it equals six. How do you argue with that? Well, you just there's don't. no argument. You don't. No, you just you don't. don't. And don't. as Democrats, we need to stop getting punched in the nose and uh, and apologizing for getting punched in the nose. Absolutely. By the Republican Party. Absolutely. I would like no so. more apologies anymore half of this party's platform just doesn't make any sense to me. You can't, we can't want to repeal something. In what platform? It. You mean the platform for 2016? They didn't create a new platform. They just wrote a letter in, in praise of Donald well, Trump. I'm talking so. about, I'm talking about the fake platform, Jeff. The obviously. Fake, oh, right. the I'm fake talking one. about yes. the fake platform. Their yeah, the fake, fake platform makes no sense to me. Yeah. It just doesn't. So. All right, know. guys. Um, any final parting words? Any, any, Let's not leave it on a on a negative note like that. What do you What do you? Uh... Um, I don't know if this is in reference to your question, but I was thinking while you guys were talking. I think that it's important as this continues, and once Trump will officially name somebody, that we don't get bogged down in fighting over the details of the person and their qualifications. I think we need to keep reminding ourselves that that is not the point because there will be things about the person that he puts forward that we don't like. And we're going to say, Oh, this, that, and the other, that is not the point. They want us to try and make it about the person, but it's not about the person. It's about the principle and the norms of this country and just the hypocrisy of the Republicans. And we need to keep that as the major point. Do not get bogged down in who this person is and what we think about them, because that then pushes this forward. We need to keep it at this point. 
No, I absolutely. And that's the reason why they never even listened to Merrick Garland. They never even had a hearing because they did not want it to turn in. Oh, Merrick Garland's such a good guy. Why aren't you confirming him? They just said, we're never going to even meet with him because it's not about the person. It's about the principle that you don't confirm a Supreme Court justice in the last year of a president's term. That's the principle until a Republican is president. And then it's not the principle. It is the other way around. So I think we'll go ahead and end it there. Linda, Amber, thank you so much for being on as always. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. So that's our show. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks to Agent 13 for the theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Guys, we have 38 days left until election day your vote by mail ballot is in your mailbox fill it out send it back hope everyone is staying safe out there until next time stay golden